You're listening to Semper Reform on the Radio, where the Bible alone and the Bible in its entirety is applied to all of life. There are many people who do not want to hear the truth because it will shake up the false hope they have that they're going into heaven when indeed they are not. Christ is our King. Scripture is our law. Scripture and the laws of our country now collide head on. Now, just to make it clear, we don't bow down to Caesar. So what does Paul do when he gets his big shot at the Areopagus? Watch him. Now, not only has Paul not compromised in order to get here, but once he's here, he says, your worldview is wrong, your philosophy is wrong, it's not just wrong, it's an affront to God, you ought to know better, you're in sin. But the good news is, God has extended to you an opportunity to repent. Alright, well welcome to another episode with us. Uh, this is Semper Reformanda Radio, and my name is Tim Shaughnessy. I'm here in the studio with my two other co-hosts, Owen Pond from Bulgaria and uh, Carlos Montijo. Um, Alright, so we, uh, we are part of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network, and uh, of course there are a couple of other podcasts to check out. We have uh, Conversations from the Porch, Ladies Love Theology. Uh, you have the original Bible Thumping Wingnut crew uh, with Tim and Len, and then uh, there's also uh, Slick Answers with Matt Slick. So uh, check those guys out. Um, give them some feedback. Give us some feedback. We have a, an email address that you can reach us at. It's semper.reformanda.radio at gmail.com. So if you have any Questions, complaints, comments, anything like that, you can email us or you can find us on Facebook. That's uh, what most people seem to be doing. And um, Owen also, Owen Pond, uh, our co-host, he also has another podcast that he does, which is Ask a Millennial Christian. And he's got some excellent stuff on there. So uh, I would encourage you to go check that out. Uh, he has a Facebook uh, group page for Ask Millennial Christian as well. Uh, so you can join that group and uh, keep in touch with what he's he's got going on. And uh, today we are adding another member to our group. Uh, we have invited Luke Miner to join the Semper Reformanda radio podcast as a fellow co-host. Now, Luke is a Reformed Baptist, and he's a Clarkian presuppositionalist, and he has a blog site. So what I want to do is I want to give Luke an opportunity to introduce himself. Luke, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and I know that you've got a blog, so tell us a little bit about that. Thanks, Tim. Um, yeah, like Tim said, my name is Luke Miner. I'm, uh, well, first, and um also glad to have been uh, asked to join join the team here. Um, I'm, uh, 
I live in California, and I write for a site called scripturalism.com. Scripturalism.com, it's, it's a website that's about working out the implications of the Bible. You know, uh, Christianity is a system of truth that's contained in the Bible. And what scripturalism does, scripturalism.com does, is that it takes the Bible and it applies it to other areas of thought. What other areas of thought? That's pretty vague, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so let me focus that a bit. Scripturalism.com is focused mostly on three areas, theology, apologetics, and philosophy. Still pretty broad, right? But that narrows it down a little bit study of God, right? Apologetics is the study of how to defend the belief system. And philosophy, it's the study of wisdom or the, the love of wisdom. But there's more to the name scripturalism than uh, just the idea of working out the implications of the Bible. This term scripturalism, it tends to refer to the lines of thinking um, that have been worked out by John Calvin, St. Augustine, um, modern folks like um, Robert Raymond, and especially Gordon Clark. We believe that the philosophy of these men most resembles the philosophy that the Bible teaches. So we're scripturalists, and we sometimes call ourselves Clarkians. Well, uh, so who in the world is Gordon Clark? He was a great theologian and philosopher of the 20th century. And if you haven't picked up any Clark, we recommend that you do so. Um, but, uh, okay, Luke, well, you, you haven't really told me what you do on the site. What are some of the specifics of what we do? Well, uh, let me give you a, an example. We wrote an article on the image of God. You know, the Bible says that man was created in God's image. Well, what does this mean? Well, the article analyzes the scriptural passages, all of them, on the image of God. And then it uses that to explain that um, what the image of God means in the scriptures. The article is largely based off of um, a section of a Gordon Clark book, but we wrote the article so that we could provide a short and uh, easy explanation for people who haven't yet found the time to read the book. Uh, we also write posts about um, responding to, to arguments um, from unbelievers and also for people who hold um, other systems of theology within Christianity. And so basically what we're trying to do is, is bring glory to God by um, explaining his word, defending it, um, and, uh, and, and answering as many questions, relevant questions as we can. Awesome. Now, Luke, uh, do you, do you, uh, are you the only author on this on this blog site? No, we've got a, a another great guy named C.J. Engel, um, who writes for the site, and then also um, once in a while some of the other um, scripturalists, a guy named Doug Duma, and some other folks um, write some some for the site, but it's mostly. CJ and I. Oh, awesome, awesome. Yeah, uh, CJ is actually a, a really good guy. I'd like to have him on the show at some point. Uh, I know he's a he's a very well articulated writer. Um, he actually won the con a contest, an essay contest for the Trinity Foundation. So that gives you some insight into his ability to write. Um, and uh, okay, so. Luke, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being a part of uh, Semper Reformanda Radio. Uh, we're definitely on board with uh, what you said about scripturalism and uh, Gordon Clark and all that good stuff. So uh, the other thing, all right, so in today's episode, what we, we have a guest on with us today, and uh, his, his name is Benjamin 
is it Ben or Benjamin? Uh, it's Benjamin, but I go by Ben. Ben. Okay. So Ben is here with us today, and um, he is an atheist who takes the hard position that there oh, the 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 stronger position of atheism. It's not just a lack of belief in God, but he actually asserts that there is no God. And uh, I, I ran into him on Facebook. Uh, I saw a couple of the arguments that he was he was making on Facebook uh, in favor of his view, and so I said, "Hey, why not? We're uh, gearing up to talk about apologetics, and this would be a good opportunity to uh, have somebody else on." Uh, so I reached out to him, and I think it took him a, a little while to see my message because we weren't friends at first. Um, but uh, he got back to me, and so. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to have a discussion with Ben. Uh, he, is, he has come on to make his case for, uh, I think, naturalism and uh, atheism. And uh, now, Ben, I, I may have misunderstood you, but the impression that I got initially was that you were saying that you could prove that atheism is true. Is, is that the case, or um, what, what was your, your position? Yeah, so um, I'm what's... Uh, to kind of use a loose term, a metaphysical naturalist. So basically what I mean when I use the word naturalism is that I defend the hypothesis that uh, physical reality exists and that any mental reality that there is is ultimate ex ultimately explained by this physical reality. And so what I can get with that hypothesis is the entailment of atheism. So if at bottom things are physical instead of mental, um, naturalism in that sense would entail atheism. So I think that's a better route um, to take in the sense of saying that atheism is merely a lack of belief. I think that's, I think that's a, a conversation stopper and is uh, very unhelpful unhelp and it's something that I'm very frustrated to see become so popular in certain circles. Okay. Now, um, before we were talking, uh, you were saying that you have, I can't remember, you have or you have not had interaction with uh, presuppositionalists? Um, so I've had indirect, um, so it's been, uh, all of my interaction with presuppositionalism has been online. So I've not interacted with someone who is a presuppositionalist like we are now in kind of a live discussion. Right. Okay. Um, what's your take on uh, guys like? Well, so you've obviously seen guys like Saitem Kate um, and those those uh, presuppositionalist guys. Like, what what's your take on on them? Well, so I, I guess I kind of distinguish between the internet style um, presuppositionalism, sometimes called uh, cyclones, um, from the more sophisticated versions of presuppositionalism like from Greg Bonson or Van Til. So I think those are um, a little bit more philosophically robust, which is what I'm more interested in, whereas I think that the internet versions are useful apologetics. So the, 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 the aim seems to be that apologetics is giving a defense of the faith, and so this is just one method of giving that defense of the faith. Whereas I don't think Van Til and Bonson so much 
were giving a defense of the faith as they were trying to give a rational grounding for knowledge within the Christian worldview, trying to be a little bit more philosophically robust. Um, but, uh, okay, so that, yeah, have you, um, well, I, I would say that um, Bonson was giving a defense of the faith, um, but, I mean, we don't need to really, just, like, argue over that. But, um, okay, so what I was thinking we would do is we would uh, let you um, make your defense for your position. Uh, you, you were you were wanting to... Um, now, I, I guess you weren't saying that you wanted that you felt like you could prove that atheism is true, but uh, you could you were wanting to make an argument for why you thought atheism was true. And um, I saw you, you had a lot of uh, bullet points on there. So uh, I'd like to give you an opportunity to have the floor to tell us why you believe that atheism is true and how you feel that you can uh, establish that point of view. So, Go ahead and uh, and take it away, Ben. Okay. Um, so what I do um, as a philosopher of religion is um, test ideas and really see what I can do as far as breaking certain ideas or offering evidence or reasons in favor of certain views, comparing different things, and seeing um, on balance where the evidential chips fall. And so... Um, over the past few years or so, I've been working a lot in the work of Paul Draper and J.L. Schellingberg and Graham Oppie um, in the discussions uh, between naturalism and, and theism, as I just uh, defined them earlier, where I, I take naturalism um, to be that a physical reality exists, ultimately explains a mental reality if there is one, and I contrast that with the hypothesis that I call supernaturalism, where um, a mental reality exists, an ultimate mental reality, um, and that if there is any physical reality, it's ultimately explained by this mental reality. And then I go a step further and define a hypothesis, um, theism. And by theism, I mean a hypothesis that there's an all-powerful, all-knowing, and perfectly moral person who is a transcendent, disembodied mind. He created the universe for a purpose and is worthy of our worship. And so, um, now obviously that, that definition could probably be tweaked a little bit and it might not appeal to everyone who labels themselves a theist, but I, I feel like that definition um, really captures the essence of what people mean when they say theism. And so... Um, basically, what I just I start doing is is I start looking at antecedent reasons on each hypothesis and seeing what evidence favors one theory and disconfirms another, and so forth like that. And so, when we originally uh, talked to you, um, had asked the question how you were interested in how what what science has to say on this um, topic. And so what I did is I laid out seven lines of evidence that I think um, are scientifically um, established pieces of, pieces of fact that are antecedently more likely on naturalism than they are on theism. And so that um, at the end you can make sort of a master argument where you say naturalism is a simpler hypothesis than theism and it is a more accurate explanatory hypothesis. 
than theism. And so at that point, you can then make the, the reasonable, draw the reasonable conclusion that all things considered, naturalism is probably true and theism is probably false. So that's when, when you say, can, can, can I prove that atheism is true? That's, that's going to be a very loose use of the word prove. It's not, it's not a mathematical proof, although I think that these arguments can give, be given a very logical, precise formulation, and you can assign some fairly precise mathematical numbers to them. It's not a, a standard deduction, like say I would give a mathematical proof of something or a logical proof of something. So I, I wouldn't make the strong claim that theism is incoherent or irrational or entailed a contradiction. Um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't make such a strong case uh, su such a strong claim for my case here. I concede that theism is, to use the jargon, metaphysically possible. And so the, the seven lines of evidence that I put together, um, I guess I should say it's, it's more six and then one more general piece about science. So the first more general piece about science is the success of science. So I think that um, under, if you, we assume that naturalism is true, it's going to be a better explanation for what we've seen through the history of science. Um, that naturalistic hypotheses would constantly replace supernatural uh, hypotheses and we wouldn't need to appeal to supernatural causes within the causal um, structure of reality. So um, we all, if God exists, I think we could all agree that he would be a causal agent in the universe and so that we would expect that our best explanations of reality would have to take those um, causes into account and so the fact that our scientific explanations can do that without appealing to the supernatural is evidence favoring naturalism and disconfirming theism. And so that's that's not really a scientific claim but that's a claim about, it's, it's sort of a meta-science claim. Um, but then to hone in more on evidences um, that are have been discovered through scientific inquiry would be things like the hostility of the universe, um, biological evolution, um, the physical dependency of minds, um, the biological role of pain and pleasure, and the flourishing and languishing of sentient beings, and the neurological basis of empathy and moral handicaps. So I think that these are all facts that science has reasonably established as true. And so these facts give us reasons, and those reasons count in favor of naturalism and count against theism. And so I have, for each of those lines of evidence, um, pieces of antecedent reasoning so that you can then formulate probabilistic arguments from each one and say that you get the conclusion that this line of evidence is more probable on naturalism than it is on theism. So if anyone has any questions about or wants, is, is curious about one of those lines of evidence, I think now would be a great time to kind of dive into them. Yeah, well, thank you for, for laying that out for us. Uh, I really appreciate that. Um, so uh, you were saying that, that, I guess, okay, 
one of the arguments was uh, just it wasn't really a scientific arg uh, an argument that stemmed from science per se. It was uh, more of a philosophical <laughs> view of science. But then the others all stemmed from uh, from scientific inquiry. And, and I think you you listed uh, the evolution. Um, and a couple of others, is that right? They, they all basically stemmed from uh, the scientific method and all of that? Yeah, yeah. So, okay. um, so and... what, what, I would, what I would want to know um, is if all of your arguments stem from the scientific method, how do you avoid the fallacy of asserting the consequent within the or how do you how do you make an argument valid if it, within the science within the, the the structure of the scientific method you're committing the fallacy of asserting the consequent and and well, let me let me let me outline this so <clears throat> basically yeah, I don't the, I understand the question okay so the scientific method formally commits the fallacy of asserting the consequent and that's uh, if p then q q therefore p Yes. It's a it's a violation of the modus ponens argument, and uh, this is something that actually Dr. Clark points out, but uh, other secular philosophers have also noted this, like Bertrand Russell uh, noticed this, and so it's basically uh, it, when you say it in in syllogistic form like that, it goes over a lot of people's heads. So I really want people to get this, but the fallacy of asserting the consequent once again is if p then q, q therefore p. And so when we apply it to something, it starts to make sense. If, the, if it's raining outside, then the grass will be wet. Uh, the grass is wet, uh, therefore it's raining outside. Now, that's the fallacy. And it's a violation of the modus ponens, which is if it's raining outside, then the grass will be wet. It is raining outside, therefore the grass is wet. So the, uh, the fallacy, it's a fallacy because when we say if uh, if it's raining outside, therefore the grass is wet. Uh, if it's raining outside, the grass is wet. Uh, the grass is wet, therefore it's raining outside. The reason that that's a fallacy is because there could be any number of reasons as to why the grass is wet. Perhaps the sprinklers were on. Uh, perhaps uh, kids were playing, uh, had a water fight in the yard. Perhaps it's morning dew. Perhaps, I don't know, maybe the dog peed and you're just happen to stand in in the pee spot and you think the grass is wet. You know, the, the point is is that there's other reasons as to why the grass is wet. So the scientific method uh, formally commits the fallacy of asserting the consequence, which is uh, you you formulate a hypothesis, you you uh, predict results. Uh, if the results come true, uh, then the uh, hypothesis is either confirmed or supported. Um, I'll read you a, a section from uh, Gordon Clark's book. Then um, this is from this is a uh, volume five of the Signature series. Uh, Gordon Clark writes: uh, At this point, we must pause to clarify the logic both of this particular situation and experimental verification in general. A simple argument of verification proceeds as follows: The given hypothesis implies certain definite results. The experiment actually gives these results. Therefore, the hypothesis is verified and, and can be called a law. Obviously, this argument is the fallacy of asserting the consequent. And since all verification must commit this fallacy, it follows that no scientific law or hypothesis can ever be logically demonstrated. 
So that's that's one problem that I would have with you trying to establish your view from the scientific method. And I, I also want to point this out is that a scientific method, uh, the, the, a scientific uh, experiment can be falsified. So that's uh, that's actually legitimate. Gordon Clark uh, goes on to write, it seems, however, that hypotheses can be logically proven false. The argument uh, the argument would go: the given hypothesis implies certain definite results. The experiment actually gives a contradict contradictory result. Therefore, the hypothesis is false. Obviously, this is uh, the perfectly valid argument of denying the consequent. So it would seem that although laws uh, can be proven false, they can never be proven true. So that's that's one that's one problem that I would have with with your argumentation. The other one, and I'm just going to throw this out there, and you can tackle them uh, separately or together, is the the fallacy of induction. And so the fallacy of induction is trying is is attempting to draw a a general principle from a particular instance and. Um, it doesn't matter how many particular instances you have, you can never draw uh, a general principle. And the reason why, as David Hume shown, showed, uh, amply showed, is that your your uh, your experience is limited in limited in the past and non-existence in the future, with the result that you can't establish any universal claims. And so those, so when you when you conduct scientific experiments, uh, this is why the results are always tentative. Uh, even for things that would be perceived as laws. Um, and so Gordon Clark actually gives a number of uh, other reasons as to why uh, science can never prove anything to be true. But uh, so that's, that's where I would, I would have to challenge your view and say that I don't think that you can establish naturalism or, or atheism or uh, like I mean even even evolution so like basically all scientific experimentation and all scientific evidence that is used in support of evolution commits this fallacy of asserting the consequent and I'll give you one example if evolution is true then we would see homologies um, we do see homologies therefore evolution is true uh, it all commits this fallacy so um, I, I would just lay that out there uh, at you, and, and, and uh, I want to give you a chance to respond. And then uh, after that, I'll, I'd like to give anybody else an opportunity to uh, to talk. Um, okay. Okay. So um, I feel like you 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 put quite a bit of quite a, quite a bit on the table there. Um, I would say um, right from the start that I'm not a philosopher of science. And then I'm not an epistemologist, but I am familiar um, with both of those um, fields of inquiry in the sense that I'm aware of questions that are raised in those fields, and I'm aware of certain responses that have been brought to those. Um, the I guess I'll start with your last one um, first because I feel like this is where basically you're you're uh, pointing to the problem of induction and saying that, okay, well, induction, we, we have these skeptical worries about induction, and there's certain things that we don't, we don't seem to be able to get to 100% certainty when it comes to inductive results. And um, David Hume's famous 
problem with it is that he, you have to assume that induction is valid to even try to uh, reason inductively, and so it's it's you you end up reasoning in a circle, and so that that would be formally invalid, and so well I think that these are some uh, you know neat questions and there's a lot of ink has been spilt on these. Um, I'm not a skeptic about induction. So um, my argument obviously assumes that we can use induction and that induction is generally reliable, but we know that it has limits. And as long as we respect those limits, we are at least approximating the truth in our results. So um, if all of my experiences of the sun rising in the east and setting in the west, um, I think that that gives us good reason to believe that the sun will always rise in the east and set in the west. Well, let um, me let me ask you let me ask you about that. Like, how do you know that the sun will will rise tomorrow? Um, because it's happened in the past, so it's okay. And that's that's begging the question. That's that's a that's sure, a, and a that's the problem of induction. So, so, right, and so I want to like. Right, and I want to lay this out. So if the only reason that you know that the, the future will be like the past is based off of past experience, then you're begging the question. You're arguing in a circle. You're actually not uh, advancing an argument at all. Um, there is something well, I else. I disagree with that. So I, I think you're wrong. I think you're just flat out wrong. So I think we have something called rational intuition. And so that there's things like we can't justify deduction without using deduction. We can't justify um, induction without using induction. We can't justify the reliability of our memory without appealing to memory. We can't um, justify sense perceptions without appealing to sense perceptions. So I think that these are all properly basic beliefs and I believe that we can we're, uh, it seems to me that P is the case so I at least have prima facie justification that P. And so um, that's a shorthand version of the principle of phenomenal conservatism. Um, I would encourage people to go look that up. And so it's a standard principle for foundationalist epistemologies. And so I think that captures right there the problem of induction, um, any skeptical worries that we would have about other minds, an external world. Um, well, let me, let me ask that. you a question about that. So, I mean, you, you referenced a, a number of... What I would say, what I would say, are like presuppositional starting points, like uh, the memory. Sure. Um, but let me ask you: Is your memory perfect? No. Uh, okay. No. So, so if your memory's not, it, uh, yeah, right. And, and the same with your senses, and the same with, uh, with you know, you actually don't know if the future is going to be like the past. Um, uh, you honestly, the, 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 no, I disagree with that. You, 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 you get it exactly wrong right there. So. Okay. Well, uh, then, if, if let, I, let, me, if, let me make the point. Let me make the point about the memory. So, if okay. you're assuming the reliability of your memory before you you begin, if if you have to assume the reliability of your memory before you uh, start out, but you you already you've already acknowledged that your memory is faulty, then that's no. Yourself no, in the I've foot. said that it's possible for my memory to be mistaken. So well, of like, course like it is. I said, well, well, it not, seems to let's, me. Let's go further than that. It's not only possible. If it you're, seems you're, to me that P, then I have at least prima facie justification that P. Now that doesn't mean that that's, that can't be wrong. I could be 
presented evidence. So I could have a memory of event X, and event X never happened. But it still seemed to me that event X happened, so I would have to then ha be presented a defeater in order to... So if all my well, if I say, say event X is being at some family reunion, if every member of my family tells me that I wasn't at that family reunion, and my punch time card at work says that I was at work during that family reunion, that's, that's, th those are defeaters for my belief that my memory experience is veridical to something that happened in the past. So as, as long as I'm you know, balancing these rational intuitions and giving more weight to things that seem more obviously true than others, then I can, have a rel I, I, I can think about things in a systematic way, I can say that I know things, I can make predictions about the future um, that can be confirmed or disconfirmed. So, um, and, and that's just kind of standard epistemology. Again, I'm not an epistemologist. This is just kind of epistemology 101. Well, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, let me, did you want to talk about the probability, Luke? Because I wanted to ask you. So you said that you would have, an, you would have a probability of the truth. But um, is that right? So you wouldn't actually have the truth. So, so my so there's there is this thing called truth that we would say the way that our concepts correspond to reality, and we can be confident in our judgments on whether certain propositions are true or false. So, with deduction, for example, if I'm deducing truths from other truths, uh, something like modus ponens or modus tollens, I know that that algorithm is truth-preserving. If the, if the premises are true, then the conclusion has to be true. But, but induction works differently than that. I'm not, I'm not getting that certainty. Um, I'm preserving truth, but in a probabilistic way. I can have certain levels of confidence. So certain evidence, you know, we could have a certain hypothesis and the evidence not support it in, in a way, and we would call that an underdetermined um, scenario. So we would say that our confidence isn't as high as it could be in some other situation. So say that I had a sample size of only two when it came to suns rising in the east and setting in the west. Well, I'm not as confident that the sun is going to rise in the east and set in the west as I would if I had a million um, sample size. So yeah. this, it's you, you can you can use mathematics and probability and statistics here to um, come up with reasonable confidence intervals about <coughs> what's happening in the world, maybe in the future, or what you know what we can predict or what is probably true. So um, do I think that Hillary Clinton's going to win the election in November? Yes, um, I think that's a very high probability. Do I know that with 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 a hundred percent confidence? Well, well, no. I mean, something something very catastrophic could happen, um, and so yeah, induction yeah. saves that room for these possibilities. Yeah. Hey, without uh, a priori. Hey, Ben. Uh, th this is Luke. I just uh, I wanted to jump in with what you guys are saying, and I also I think I could say something that um, to to clarify the discussion, um, but uh, 
but first I wanted to I wanted to say thanks for um, for being uh, a nice guy, a reasonable guy, a guy who um, you know uh, wants to wants to um, you know present the actual arguments and not just say that uh, um, you know. Uh, nobody believes what you stupid Christians believe, you know, and that kind of thing. Um, you uh, you really strike me as the right kind of guy to um, uh, to to be on a show like this. Um, so uh, so yeah, I just just wanted to just wanted to throw that out there. Um, one of the things that you're gonna find um, with all, with all of us, those of us who are influenced by um, Gordon Clark and folks like that, um, is that is that we actually um, we actually uh, feel a lot more strongly about the problem of induction than um, you know the, than most modern philosophers do. And what, what I mean by that is um, is you know well uh, you've probably heard uh, Alvin Planning's um, uh, example about um, you know holding a a, a royal flush um, yep. in his hand. You know right. So so there's a there's one in like a gazillion probability that you know that you'd get a royal flush, right? And so, um, and so by by induction, um, we ought to be able to to discount, right? The the possibility that I am holding a royal flush, right? Um, except for the fact that you know uh, one one piece of information could actually turn, um, and, and I, you probably understand this, but I'm explaining it for everybody. Um, yeah. it, um, one piece of information. Can take the probability um, that I have a royal flush from one in a gazillion to um, to a pretty high probability, and and so so when when you make an argument that's based off an induction, you have to um, you, you know you have to leave room, and I, and I'm not saying that you would disagree with this, but uh, but we leave room for uh, for finding perhaps one fact that can totally change the game and 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 worse yet we we have no idea what the probability is that we might find that that one fact that would totally overturn the inductive argument um and so 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 since we since we can't know how probable our inductive argument is you know of of of, of the conclusion actually actually following um, we can't really know the probability. We say the probability is high, but we can't really know it's high because we don't, you know, we don't know what the sample size is. Um, usually, um, it, it seems to me certainly to be the case with the um, with the scientific um, arguments. We don't even know what the sample size is. So, um, so, so anyway, I, I wanted to throw that out there. And also, um, what you said about the principle of phenomenal conservatism. Um, I don't know if uh, if um, if y'all. Uh, uh, really got the gist of what he's saying there. He's saying that, um, and there's been arguments out there. I've read Richard Swinburne's arguments for it, um, but I, I think other people argue it. That great, if, man, great philosopher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually, um, I actually uh, went and had coffee at his house a month ago, but we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> but uh, super jealous. Yeah, yeah. He he was awesome. But but uh, but anyway, the the idea is um, is that if something seems to be true that it has a probability of more than 50% of actually being true so you know so the, the thought is that um you know if if i if my sense Absent is a defeater. 
So I, I think you need that a qualification in there as well. Just I say that for the audience. So yeah, absolutely good, good. the fear that you would be right. prima facie justified in you know, um so if, if two plus two yeah. seems like it equals four and I don't have any defeater for that, I'm it's it would like you said, above fifty percent. I think that was a great way yeah, of phrasing yeah. it. Yeah. And, and and so, you know, you're you're talking to some guys that 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 actually uh, would be sort of skeptical even about that principle. Um, sure. Yeah, because uh, you know we we would think that actually, you know, um, might might not might might not be consistent with um, with a worldview like naturalism. Um, you know that the idea that um, you know that uh, what we think is is the case actually is the case that 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 would actually be true in a naturalistic world um whereas you know we think we might formulate some kind of principle like that on a biblical worldview but not necessarily on a so would it, and this is this is a question just for my own clarification would you say that it's fair to say that your position is is that theism has the conceptual tools necessary to um, ground things like induction and knowledge more generally, whereas my view of naturalism would not have those conceptual resources. So, well, in other words, um, to, to, to make my uh, naturalistic hypothesis cogent, I would have to sort of insert the radically dualistic metaphysics of theism into the clockwork of that theory before I could even get the precondition. Yeah, almost, almost, yeah. Almost. Um, uh, well, yeah, tell me, tell me, tell me where I lost you then. Right, right. Um, well, so actually, we we actually don't <coughs> we we actually don't ground induction. That's that's um that's sort okay. of a that's sort of a quirk of 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 uh, Clarkianism. Not not all presuppositionalists feel that way, but we we don't actually ground it. We just um w when we talk about knowledge. You know, and justification. We're talking about um, deduction, which um, which you you might uh, well you might have a lot to say about that, but it's probably <laughs> probably not the time. Um, but then then the other oh wait, what was the other thing? Uh, what was the second thing you you, you said? Um, <laughs> deduction memory. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, so here it is. Um, we don't we don't think I don't think any of us think that theism um, uh, by itself um actually gives us justification for the the principle of phenomenal conservatism but um but, but christian theism um perhaps might and not just christian theism but with biblical christian christian theism we, we actually wouldn't say that you could uh, you could deduce such a principle from theism in general i don't think but anyway i'll let somebody else no, no that's, that. that's fair i i i think that's a um fair criticism of my interpretation of y'all, because um, I, I have been talking of theism in a very gen general, very, very general terms, whereas I think y'all would probably talk about it in more particular terms. I think that's a good distinction for your listeners to kind of um, be aware of. That So um, when I use theism, I'm using sort of a theism simpliciter. Um, uh, so, like, on my uh, conception of the theism, something like heaven wouldn't be entailed by my version of theism, whereas it would be in yours. 
if you were if we were to take a biblical Christian theistic framework, there's a lot more meat packed into your hypothesis. Would that be fair to say? Yep. Yeah, that would be fair. Okay. Well, excellent. I, I don't. I don't like calling it a hypothesis uh, because we're actually not formulating yeah, yeah. it as a hypothesis. Yeah. Oh, well, um, so, so Carlos, uh, I guess Carlos, I should define that term. Actually, I'm using it. That's that's. I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm using the word hypothesis just to refer to a proposition for which we do not know for certain whether it is true or false via rational intuition alone. So when I say hypothesis, I'm not saying it in the in the sense of like a scientific hypothesis. I'm just saying that um, um, God exists is the theistic hypothesis and that we don't know for well, certain whether or not that's true or false just by well, rational I, I would, I, as a Christian I would I would reject that claim uh, I, I want to give Carlos an opportunity to talk but uh, sure. we do we do know that God exists he's revealed himself and we know that you know that he exists because he's revealed that too so uh, that may be something that you reject and and I understand that sure. uh, but, uh, from the outset we do not hold God or the Christian worldview as a hypothesis. We affirm that the Bible alone is the word of God, and we, we know that He is uh, that, that God exists and that Christianity is true. So um, I'll, I'll let Carlos, uh, Carlos was uh, wanting to jump in. Hey Ben, so I wanted to clarify something because you said, you said your hypothesis, and I'm wondering if, if by that you mean your first principle or your axiom. Is this what you're referring to? I don't think I understand your question. So, because because the reason Tim brought that up is because what we mean by, I, I, it sounds like you're using that term interchangeably with axiom or first principle. What and term? what we mean by that is that, uh, hypothesis. So, so, no, when I use the term hypothesis, I'm, uh, that's, that's a label that I'm giving a proposition that we don't know um, for certain whether it is true or false, just by rational intuition alone. So it's something that we would have to um, think about. We would have to ask questions about and investigate. So um, all bachelors are unmarried men. So that's, that's a hypothesis. You know, I, I wouldn't call that a hypothesis because we, we know that's true just by understanding the concepts in play. But if I say that God exists, that's, that's a much different proposition. So I, w I would say that um, you put the hypothesis forward that God exists and then you can either confirm or disconfirm that hypothesis by examining evidence. So that's what I mean. But so uh, yeah. when you say like first principles, a first principle for me would be something like um, a principle of charity or a principle of phenomenal conservatism. Something like those would be more along the lines of what I would label a first principle. Hey, Ben. Uh, Carlos, I, I want to let you talk. Um, but, hey, Ben, you just said that you can use evidences to confirm your hypothesis. Um, yes, and I'm using evidence again, in a very broad sense, too. So reasons... Okay, and that's fine. Yeah. Okay, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, I want to point out to you, though, that that's the fallacy of affirming the consequent or asserting the consequence. It's, in, it's inductive. My arguments are okay, inductive. I'm going to get into that. So, I cannot be yeah, committing okay. a deductive go, go fallacy. Go for it, Carlos. 
Yeah, let me let me just clarify a few things because I don't think I dropped out for a little bit, but I don't think this may not have been addressed yet. So the problem with the scientific method is that it it commits it it commits two methodological methodological fallacies, right? There's asserting the consequent and then there's a fallacy of induction. So the problem here is that even if so the example that Tim brought up, even if it were true that the grass was, was be, the grass was wet because it rained. It doesn't matter uh, it, if so, that's so, true because so the I, method. I, I already have well, to stop. Let me just let me just let me just clarify real quick. Let me just clarify this. So okay. even if it were true, it doesn't matter because the method, the way you arrive to that method, using that method is false. It's always fallacious, and so the same it's thing with induction. That's yeah, hold on. Let me just, let me just clarify. Yeah. I'll let you, you can speak after I finish uh, my explanation. So this is just a simple question of logic, right? Methodologically speaking, if you're always asserting the consequent, then that's, that's methodologically fallacious. You cannot say that it's not justified true belief, in other words. So the example, for example, like let's say uh, I guessed the lottery. And well, it's true that the lottery number that I guessed uh, was true, but that doesn't mean that I knew it. It wasn't justified true belief because I just basically guessed it. And so that's kind of the same thing when we're talking about with respect to um, a, uh, the scientific method. It doesn't matter that it was actually true that it rained um, because methodologically speaking, when you assert the consequent, there could be any number of reasons as to why the, the grass was actually wet. And you, the method that you used to arrive to that was actually fallacious. And it's the same thing with induction. With induction, even if you, it, it, the reason this is impossible for the induction in science to actually be valid is because it's always incomplete. You cannot observe every single instance at all times, at all places, and so because you don't know the future, and so and you don't know all of the past, you don't know the past either. And so if you observe a thousand crows and conclude that all crows are black, that's still fallacious. Even if it has, is if it is actually true, it would still be fallacious because the 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 there could be a crow somewhere that's actually white. And so I just wanted to clarify that for, for our listeners. So, so Ben, when, when yeah. you say, when you say that you're, you have a hypothesis and then you go out and you, you get evidence to confirm your hypothesis, or you say that you can confirm your hypothesis, that is following the line of reasoning of if P, if my hypothesis is true, then this, you do find this, therefore, P, therefore my hypothesis is true. Whether you disagree with it or not, um, it is formally fallacious, and it is uh, the, the fallacy of asserting the consequent, which renders the argument completely invalid. And so my challenge to you would be, how can you assert that something is true on the, the basis of a invalid fallacious argument so but i'm not committing the i'm not committing committing the fallacy that you're saying i'm committing because i'm not drawing my conclusions as a deduction i grant that it's possible that something like even though a one piece of evidence will not conclusively confirm a hypothesis it can still count in favor of that hypothesis being true so to give you an example, um, your, f your fingerprints could be on some gun. 
Well, that fact gives me, in conjunction with the background information of it being at a crime scene, counts in favor of believing that you committed that crime using that gun. Now, does it prove that? Can, can, I, can I put that in your deductive framework and deduce that you did that crime? No, because it could have been someone else. It could have been you just left your gun that you had touched at a place that happened to be a crime scene. So I'm well, not making exactly. these claims with well, absolute yeah, certainty. I'm saying that these there are facts that give us reasons to have certain okay. beliefs with a certain level of confidence. So as long as my confidence so, in my conclusion is not 100%, I never commit the fallacy that you're, you're accusing me of committing. And neither are other scientists in their research programs that are doing great inductive, empirical, investigative work. Well, okay, so I, I, I want to make sure that you're admitting then that you can't confirm your position. I can confirm my position. I'm not confirming my position with an absolute certainty. Okay. That's three times I've made that that, that point. Okay. Well, I wasn't counting. Um, I was. Yeah. Well, okay. I think that where Tim and Carlos are are losing you, um, Ben, is where you go from. A, you know, this evidence counts in favor of. To this evidence makes it probable that. That's this is the same thing. Those 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 two statements are the same thing. There is no functional difference within epistemology of those things. So to give a reason means roughly to count in favor of, which means roughly to be probably the case. So let me functionally different ways of saying the same thing. No, but you would say that sometimes you'll have evidence that counts in favor of something that's totally improbable. So, so, sure, so, sure. What so, we're so, so if you if you think of it, so in my method, you have to have two hypotheses. Think of them as scales. You have two hypotheses on each side of scales, and then you can set pieces of evidence that that count in favor of them on that scale. And so that's what we mean when we say. On balance, which way does the evidence point? Right, and but when you does say that, 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 does that mean that any of these lines of evidence will conclusively prove my point? No, because they could be outweighed by evidences on the other side, or it, we could, like, so uh, I believe it was Luke said earlier that we can um, find facts, discover facts in the world that then negate other pieces of evidence. We go, okay, here's here's a piece of evidence that changes the whole game. So my yeah. method leaves all of that open because again, this is this is an honest pursuit of truth and we're allowing evidential chips to fall where they may. Yeah, now I think I think we could come to agreement um, on that, but um, if if you would introduce that <coughs> is probable on X, Y, and Z evidence right then then we can't then that doesn't leave the doors open right but if you just say yeah, that why why did it not leave those doors open well 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 um well actually let, let me just continue i think you're going to end up agreeing with me here um, okay but when when um when you say that you know p is probable um and then you just give evidences in favor of to support that Yep. It, it, 
it doesn't it that doesn't act that doesn't strictly support the claim that, that p is probable if you said instead p is probable on these evidences then you you would have made the the connection um you, do you see what i'm saying so, so, I, so if i'm you afraid just, i don't i'm sorry i think i lost you say that again yeah so if you just give evidences in support of of the 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 idea that i don't have a, a royal flesh it doesn't make it improbable that I don't have a royal flesh. I, I might be looking at my royal flesh, um, and and so uh, it really well, is. Well, that's a piece of evidence that would go on the scale. Well, but would it wouldn't fit. necessarily go on the scale if you don't know why that. Why, why isn't your sense perception of you having a royal flesh in front of you not a piece of evidence that you have a royal flesh? Uh, because because you, the one who's presenting the evidence, don't know that I'm looking at the royal flesh. Exactly. So that that is a piece of evidence that could be presented that would that would, like you said, change the whole game. The scale would be tipped. So if you told me that you had a royal flesh in your hand, I would be justified in being skeptical because I know prior to investigating any evidence antecedently. My antecedent reason is to know that that's improbable. Now, yeah, if yeah. you show me, if you show me a royal flush, then that's a game changer. That's a game yeah, changer yeah. right now. Now, now the options are the, the possibilities are you could have cheated, or you actually got dealt a royal flush. Right. And right. so those, and so well, all things considered, it would be irrational for me to not believe that you got dealt. A royal flesh. Yeah, yeah. But, but what I'm saying though is, let, let's just put you in, in the position before I show you the flesh, right? Um, and and you you give your evidences um, that that I don't have a royal flesh. You you shouldn't say, therefore, it is improbable that you have one. You should I would, say. I, I can say that as long as I don't add the qualifier at the end. All things considered, because I yeah. haven't considered all things. I haven't considered what's actually in your hand. I am yeah, only that, going by the antecedent reasoning alone. I don't have all the necessary information to make that judgment all things yeah, considered. I, I just think that that's why philosophers will say um, that, you know, he has a, that he has a real flesh is improbable on this evidence, right? Because what they're trying to do is limit, you know, is, is, they're trying to make a claim that's definitely you know, rationals, you say, well, it's probable, it's improbable that he has a royal flesh on, you know, the fact that yeah, there's this whatever, whatever chance of getting one, you know, this, this many, this many possible ways to get one or whatever, right? Um, but if you just say it's improbable, yeah, well, for one, you're going to offend a lot more ears who are like, you know, well, wait, you don't know, uh, you know, how in the world do you calculate that kind of a probability? How in the world do you um, you know, what's the error? Um, right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so, so yeah, when you just, when you reason from here's some evidences in favor of to therefore it's probable, uh, that's, that's where we lose you. you. If you just say it's probable given only these evidences and, and no more, you know, maybe we can see what you're saying. It sort of well, counts. So, I, so in presenting my case, I haven't painted the whole picture. So this is where I would encourage viewers to then do their own research. And so, so um, 
I'm so, I was asked what evidences from science do I think confirm naturalism and disconfirm theism. And so I list seven evidences. Well, now, let me, uh, I then say all things considered that naturalism is true, probably true, and theism is probably false. No, I'd, I'd need some other premise, premise in, a, a, like I said, a, a larger master argument to make that case. I would have to say something like, um, with respect to the total evidence, any overall advantage in explanatory accuracy that theism has over naturalism is relatively small. And so, and, and that's, that sounds like a simple proof, but, it, but it's not. I mean, that would require me to go in and really examine all the arguments for theism and find them wanting. So I, I, I'm, I freely admit that I've only painted half a story here. And so well, let, me ask, you, let me ask you a question. Form. Um, so you were saying that uh, I want to go back to the idea of uh, you thinking that you can confirm that naturalism is true based off the evidences. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I asked, I said, well, I thought, um, well, I, I said, uh, you know, I want you to at least admit that you can't confirm it. And uh, because I, I thought that um, you would do that. But uh, then, then you doubled down and you said, no, I can confirm it. And the not with 100% accuracy. So that's the distinction that we okay. have to say. Well, I'm not 100% confident that I can confirm that naturalism is true. But I can, um, be, I can say that these are evidences okay. that make naturalism more probable than not. Okay, then, then uh, okay, I want to work with that. Uh, because the example that you gave was, uh, was uh, you know, uh, some uh, a crime with a gun and, you know, your fingerprints are on the gun. So... Let's, yeah. just, let's walk that. Let's walk that out. So uh, if uh, if Ben is the murderer, and and I'm the lawyer, okay, and you're mm -hmm. on trial, if yep. Ben is the murderer, then we would find his fingerprints on the gun. We do find his fingerprints on the gun. Therefore, Ben is the murderer. And let me let me let me preface this with uh, recently I did uh, not recently. It was about uh, maybe close to a year ago. I had to report to jury duty and, uh, and I actually got picked to go through the whole process of uh, where they ask you questions and that experience terrified me. I do not ever want to be judged by a jury of my peers because they pick the people that are most easily manipulated uh, to, to sit in those juries and if you I actually gave a somewhat reasonable answer, and they X'd me out immediately. And um, some of the some of the statements that people were making were just—I mean, it was it was eye-opening. But let's say that there's a jury, and I'm the lawyer, and I make that case. We have confirmed that Ben is the murderer because his fingerprints are on the gun. Now, would you say that I've confirmed it? No, I would say that my fingerprints on the gun give reason to believe that I used that gun to commit the murder. That's 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 a that's a probability judgment. So if you frame it in that deductive format, where you were, I believe, using modus ponens, might have been tollens. I uh, um, modus modus ponens is a method of affirming and the the yeah. fallacy of asserting so, the consequences of so, violation. So if you're gonna if you're gonna put that argument into the framework of a modus ponens, you've, you've already, that's not the framework I'm working with it. I'm okay, working so, inductive. But, 
but let me, let me, I'm just going to say. I can't affirm the, I can't affirm the consequence. I can't affirm the consequence. Let me, let me submit this to you, Ben. Let, okay. Let's use, let's use something else. Let's use a knife. Okay. Uh, instead of a gun. All right. Okay. Um, your fingerprints are on the knife. The person was stabbed. Now, yes. can you think of any other reasons why your fingerprints might be on the knife? Absolutely. Other than, other, other than the I fact that you. I could have cut a steak the night before for dinner. Or you arrived on the scene, you're, uh, you're medically trained, and you, you moved the knife out of the way, or you're not medically trained, and you pulled the knife out of the person and tried to bandage, bandage them up because you didn't know what you were doing. Sure. Um, yeah, so, so you could have been the hero of the story, and now you're being labeled the villain of the story. So um, you can't... But there would be evidence of me having done that. So that's, that's but, what I'm saying when I say all things considered. What, okay. once, once you have that defeater, once you, have, once you take all the evidence, once all the relevant evidence is stated, then it's not clear that I've committed that murder. So okay. if but, someone but, said otherwise, that would be committing what's called the fallacy of understated evidence. You would, the, yes, there's this more general fact that is more likely of me having committed the crime um, because I had my fingerprints on. But once you start listing the more particular relevant facts of I'm a medically trained person who uses knives to cut gauze or whatever, all of a sudden any confidence that you, that you originally had in that first piece of evidence has gone down. So you would so so you you wouldn't say that all things considered I was likely to be the mur the the mur of it even though that evidence still counts against me the general let, fact of it let me point out let me point this out you're not able to evaluate all things considered you're not able to evaluate not? all evidence I mean we're not uh, uh, obviously we're not omniscient and we can't do that but we can Well still, I mean I mean for the obvious reason we can still uh, we can still operate in inductive and say you know based on the evidence that we have now and we can tentatively say barring any further evidence this is where we are so okay. this a great example of that is with alien life so we so, have certain reasons to believe that there are al there's alien life and we have certain reasons to believe that there's not alien life. Well, and let me, so, based on future discoveries that we come up with, those scales are constantly in flux. Okay. Well, let me let me. Uh, um, I, I see that other people want to join in, and I'm I'm trying not to dominate this. But let me let me point this out. You asked why not when I said you can't consider you know all things considered. It's a universal proposition. Um, and once again, I'm just going to point, I'm just going to submit to you that your experience is limited in the past and non-existence in the future with the fact yep. that with, with the result that you can't evaluate all evidence. And, and so the, the other thing that I want to point out, and I want to submit this to you is that on the basis, basis of our example, you were willing to admit that you can't confirm that you were the murderer because your fingerprints were on the knife. Okay. Now I'm just going to submit this to you again. The structure of your reasoning, the 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 structure of your reasoning, commits the fallacy of asserting the consequent. Um, and I would encourage you to to maybe read some Gordon Clark. Um, I, I mean, th there are so many other uh, other areas to talk about. You know, uh, w one of them is the fact that. Uh, Evidence is always interpreted in light of your presuppositions. So, I mean, you're assuming that all of the evidence, you're saying all of the evidence, but I mean, there's 
we're looking at the same evidence and uh, you're interpreting it in light of your naturalistic presuppositions and I would interpret it in light of my Christian worldview. So, um, but I want to give, I want to give somebody else an opportunity to jump in. I think uh, Carlos, uh, uh, so I see other people uh, talking on the chat. Uh, I'll, I'll hand it off to somebody else now. Yeah. Um, so, and I want to lay out a few things, and Ben, I know, you know, you, you might disagree, but just let me, I'm going to just lay out a few things to clarify once again. So, um, you, you brought up a good question, Ben, about um, induction and whether we ourselves have the capability of grounding induction. And uh, I think, I guess, based on your experience with other Vantillian presuppositionalists like Greg Bonson, uh, we actually disagree with, with those guys because... Um, the, the Clarkian perspective, and you might be familiar with this as well, that Clarkian perspective takes uh, the position of oper operationalism with respect to science, in that science basically, the purpose of science is not to discover any knowledge at all, because it can't, because it's methodologically fallacious, like, a, like, like what we were pointing out before. Um, the, the, the reason science is useful, and the Christian can use science, is not to discover truth, but it's actually to basically subdue the earth. And uh, we fabricate artificial laws, which are false. They're not actually true. Um, Einstein, you know, people, the, the philosophers of science recognize this as well, like Einstein, uh, Karl Popper, Bertrand Russell, etc. But the, the, the issue is not, when, when we limit science to what it actually can do properly, um, is, which is basically to fabricate artificial laws in order uh, by which, where we, whereby we can manipulate the environment and get something useful out of it, um, like, like uh, you know, making uh, technology and and things like that. And so, but the the issue here is that, and again with induction, that's why our claim, the the way we come to justify true belief is is solely through uh, the Bible. And so, uh, deduce and which is our axiom as well, and that's where we deduce our knowledge propositions from. And so we don't actually use science to try to come to truth uh, in any sense. And so the other thing is that um, when, it, when we're coming up with these examples of analogies like a deck of cards or a, a crime scene, those examples are extremely limited. And we basically know, uh, to, well, to some extent, like a deck of cards is, is a little bit worse of an example because you already know off the bat that there's 52 cards and you know what every card is. Uh, but the problem when it comes to the natural world or when it comes to um, something like, you know, when we're talking about nature and things like that, is that uh, that you you don't know. It's impossible to know those things on, on science, on, on, on what nature actually is and so on and so forth, because also because making these claims of probability, um, there's actually zero probability, technically speaking, for any of the claims that are made based on on scientific hypotheses, because. In order for you to know how close you are to the truth, you have to know what it is ahead of time. And so you can't know that you're 50% or 80% likely to be true about this, that, or the other, because in order for you to know that, you would have to know the truth in advance. I don't, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but um, you would have to actually know with 100% certainty what is the truth in order for you to, to, to say with confidence that you're 80% there or you're 50% there. And so I want to just read a brief, I'll, I'll conclude with this and just read a brief summary, uh, just to throw it out there, of some of the problems that we see uh, with naturalism and, and science and things like that. So 
Uh, number one is the unreliability of the census. Uh, scientists repeat experiments several times and develop special instruments in an effort to overcome this unreliability. Number two is the, mutabil the mutability of nature. The things a scientist is attempting to measure are continually changing. Number three is the use of arbitrary. Uh, here, arbitrary means not required by the experimental data. Uh, methods, choices, and procedures such as averages. Number four is the fallacy of, of induction, which is drawing universal conclusions from specific observations. Uh, number five is the fallacy of asserting the consequent. Number six is the arbitrary choice of an equation from an infinite number of possible equations. And number seven is the use of assumptions that do not and cannot describe the physical world. And that's a, the, I was reading this from uh, John Robbins' Without a Prayer, Ayn Rand on the Close of Her System. So I just wanted to throw those things out there and clarify them. Did we uh, lose you? No, I'm here. Okay. Um, well, uh, did you want to address any of those points? Uh, no, I've addressed the asserting the consequence thing three times now. So I think okay. I've pretty. I think I've hammered that point home. All right. Well, we think we've hammered it home as well. I guess. Uh, yeah. Um, I think. Uh, I think that would be good enough. Um, so. Did anybody else uh, have anything else to add or say? Did anyone have any questions about the evidences that I suggested? Um, I had a few questions, but uh, but if we're trying to keep us between an hour and an hour and a half, I probably shouldn't uh, <laughs> ask. Uh, but I but I did want to say um, that. Uh, um, that man, I I really like you, Ben. Um, I I hope that we can uh, we can um, have some more conversations in the future. You know, even privately, if you're interested. I think that sounds great. Um, I'm definitely interested in it. Um, I love surrounding myself with other people who think about these questions seriously and want are interested in constructive dialogue. Yeah, yeah. And ben, ben, uh, let me let me ask you: Is this the first time you're interacting with Clarkian uh, presuppositionalism? Uh, in this context, yes. So, um, if I have interacted with Clarkian presuppositionalism, it was I wasn't aware of it. <laughs> I think they probably I think they probably would have made you aware of it uh, if if uh, they, they, they they like to talk about it. <laughs> um, Fair enough. <laughs> we, we, we like to we like to distinguish ourselves from the uh, from the uh, from our brothers, uh, the Vantillian presuppositionalists, and um, sure. like uh, so. We're actually going to do a couple of episodes on uh, the difference between Clarkian and uh, Vantillian presuppositionalists, and uh, I definitely encourage you to to check those out. Uh, just so that you could know a little bit more about our position. Um, and I, I did, you know what, I, I did want to ask you this. So I, I'm going to I'm gonna use up the remainder of our time because I did want to, I, I think that we've talked about the science stuff. Um, I, I want to encourage everybody uh, to read um, from Clark's signature series, uh, Volume 1, it's A Christian View of Men and Things, uh, and then Volume 5. Um, he also, Carlos, what, what, uh, what's the title of the book about science that's included in volume five? Do you know, or, um, uh, the Luke, philosophy you, of science and belief in God. 
Yes, yes. Um, and so um, I want to encourage uh, everybody to get these books. There's also articles on the Trinity Foundation. Uh, Crampton wrote one about uh, science, and uh, Clark has also written uh, another one um, uh, pertaining to science on the Trinity Foundation. So I want to encourage uh, people, our, our viewers, our, our viewers, nobody's watching this, <laughs> our listeners to go out there and check that out. But uh, Ben, I wanted to uh, I wanted to ask you a question about uh, your naturalism, and uh, I just wanted to see see what your response would be, uh, and that, because I I saw on your your Facebook page that you uh, you're basically a secular humanist um, or a humanist. I, I don't I don't know if there's a difference, but that you're a humanist, and so I think that this is one of the areas that humanism uh, definitely has to address. And that's the issue of morality. And I wanted to ask you, um, just basically, is it wrong to murder people? And if so, why? Um, yes, uh, murdering people is wrong, and it is wrong because it harms them unnecessarily. So I want to. Okay, so I want to. I want to follow it up, and and I'm I'm gonna. Uh, basically ask you because uh, you already gave an answer because it harms people unnecessarily mm -hmm. um, is it wrong because you say it's wrong or are you saying it's wrong because it is wrong uh, I'm saying it's wrong because there is a reason to believe that it's wrong so if you're saying that it's wrong because it is wrong then you're actually standing on a on an objective moral standard and sure. you're standing uh, on an objective, objective moral standard. Uh, value based well, okay, so so you're you're saying okay, so you're saying that it's wrong because it is wrong, which means that you're standing on a, an objective moral standard because you're saying that it's not based upon your subjective opinion. No. So so um, basic moral truths do not depend on the attitudes or responses of any observers. Okay. So I would say that any any truth that depended on the attitudes or responses of an observer would be a subjective truth. So. To give an example, um, John Stewart is funny is a subjective truth. So if no one thought John Stewart was funny, he wouldn't be funny. Um, well, that's not true at all. I'm just kidding. Some, <laughs> somebody, somebody might find that funny. Fair um, enough. So, okay, so my question is, as a naturalist, what objective moral standard or foundation can you appeal to to say that murder is wrong? Uh, reason and experience and impartiality, things like that. So uh, I take a moral realist view. Um, I come out of a rationalist tradition out of uh, Immanuel Kant and Henry Sedgwick and more contemporarily uh, T.M. Scanlon and Derek Parfit. So I believe that um, an act is wrong um, if it's disallowed by some principle that is uh, whose being a universal law would make things go best, um, one of the only principles whose being a universal law everyone could rationally will, uh, rationally will and a principle that no one could reasonably re reject. So I think that the general moral theories of negative rule consequentialism and um, Kantian ethics and modern contractualism all climb the same mountain from different sides. And so that these moral theories generally overlap and they give us moral truths. 
that are there for us to discover. And let so me, the, let me ask the you, what truth be true in all possible worlds? So there's no world that is identical to our world in all of its non-moral features, but in which the Holocaust wasn't mo a moral abomination. So there's no possible world that's exactly identical to ours, except the Holocaust is good. Uh, that's I I don't think that makes conceptual sense. Well, let me let me ask you a question about that. So, um, you're you're presupposing these universal truths, but um, the Nazis believe that the Holocaust was good. Uh, and they were wrong. Part, okay, why? Because you say so. Uh. No, because it harmed people. It's it's a fact that the acts that they participated in were wrong. So they might have believed that they were right, but they were mistaken. Uh, but so I mean, why, people why can is harm, believe why is people harming believed people in wrong? ether, a great ether in the universe. I mean, but they were wrong. Well, let me ask you: Why is harming people wrong? Is it because you say so? Um, no, because that's a necessary truth. So that's part well, of what it but means. But who's, who's defining truth? I mean, the Nazis define truth completely what do you mean different. By defining than, truth. Well, you Are said you, it's an unnecessary truth. So no, I said it is a necessary truth. So it's it's wrong to unjustly harm other people or to harm people without an adequate justification. That's just why you know, is that necessary? Okay, so would it be morally right? To harm someone unnecessarily, does that unnaturalism? Unnaturalism? Why not? Why? Well, do you mean why not? That's not a that, that. I mean that you just hit philosophical bedrock with the spade of a bad question. Ooh, <laughs> that's a play on uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, the guy that debated uh, William Lane Craig. That's a that's a play on what he said. That's a that's a clever. Uh, what is his name? Well, because it is. I mean, all of our all of our knowledge bottoms out somewhere in principles that themselves. Well, not necessarily. So, 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 I'm so asking, pain, so I'm pain is intrinsically bad. I mean, if you don't believe me, go hold your hand on over a stove. Why is it? Why? Yeah. Okay, but why is it wrong? Motivating it. So it's the very nature of pain gives us a reason to want to avoid it. So okay. Just so like, what just if like I can avoid? What if I avoid stuff, it? Just like, like the fingerprints on the gun counted in favor of me believing that you had committed the murder, the fact that I will run over a dog if I don't step on my brakes counts in favor of me stepping on my brakes. That's that's just <laughs> that's the way it is. Okay. That's, that's what it means so, to operate in the space of reasons. Okay, so why is it wrong for me to cause pain to other people? Like, why is it wrong for me to hurt other people? Is it because you're telling me that I'm no, wrong? It's because unjust, uh, unnecessarily harming other people is wrong. That's part of, that is a property of, that is a wrong-making property. Based on what? What do you mean based on reason? It's a reason. I don't, <laughs> you who, who, keep asking me it's based but, on what? But, reason but who's and rationality. Who's reasoning so, and who's so, rationality? Um, because is, let, is let me let me look, look, look. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Just just look at the history of humanity. Look at the Spartans throwing their babies on, uh, so on the, the side just, of the hillside. That's a descriptive fact. That's not a normative fact. That tells okay. me absolutely nothing about what I ought to do. So, absolutely so what, what, nothing. What, okay, so so how are you deriving what you ought to do? The, 
they're, these are by using reason. These are normative con concepts. So just like I just said, like things count in I, I, certain facts count in favor of believing certain things, of acting in certain ways. That's what it means to be a rational being. It's it's irrational to fail to be averse to harm. So like if if I am just holding my hand over a stove for its own sake just for the pain just for its own sake i'm acting irrationally okay so why not hold your hand over the stove because it harms me and pain but isn't why... bad pain gives me a reason to want to avoid it yeah, yeah yeah i get that you want to avoid me killing you or me me shooting you or me hurting you but and i'm not going to this is just argumentation yeah. uh, no it's a thought experiment i'm with you yeah yeah so but I don't care. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm going to shoot you and I'm going to ask you why, why is it morally, objectively morally wrong for me to shoot you? Is because, it because you are a rational agent who is aware of reasons why they shouldn't do that. Why, give, uh, what are the reasons why I shouldn't because do that on I your worldview? harmed unnecessarily. Well, I don't care. I don't care if you don't. And so you're still acting immorally. So, so, you don't, so, so that's moral motivation. Okay, so, so in your, you in your worldview. Moral motivation. That's in, completely in, different from a moral obligation. Who cares if you don't have the motivation to act morally? The reason okay. is still there. The reason is still there that you're aware of and you can respond to accordingly. Whether but or not why, you respond to it is completely irrelevant metaethically. But why is he obligated to respond to your sense of morality? Why is that you might as well ask why is he under an obligation to act rationally? Well, I think you actually haven't even demonstrated rationality. For example, you say that it's irrational to hold your hand over a flame just for fun. Why? Because it hurts you? Well, what if you don't care? I don't see I don't well, see it, a grounding it, for it irrationality. It wouldn't be pain. If you didn't care, it wouldn't be pain. Well, but what's wrong with that? What if it is pain? I, I, I just don't understand. This seems like you're pain imposing your subjective reason, values. You always have a reason to want to avoid any future state of agony. That's the nature of a future state of agony, is it gives us a reason to want to avoid it. And we are irrational insofar as we don't try to avoid it. We are irrational insofar as we try to seek pain for its own sake. That's so why could, things like procrastination are irrational, because I know that I'm putting off a little bit of pain now in favor of a lot of future, future pain in the future, a lot of pain in the future. That's, that's why procrastination is irrational, because you have reasons to do things now, because it will be less painful for you to do them now than it will be in the future. On, that's what on it naturalism. means to operate in the, in the space of reasons. Not a deep mystery for a naturalist here. No, but that's, me, that's your subjective me. evaluation. Go ahead, Tim. What, All, right. on, All on evaluations natural. are subjective from that point of view, but there's epistemologically subjective and ontologically subjective. This is a famous distinction that John Searle has given us. So I can, we, th there's still objective truths even if my experience of them is subjective. So you just equivocated on senses of subjective. So that point holds no water. No, you have no grounding for objective truth, and I think Tim's about to get to that. Let me ask you, do I have, a, do I have an obligation to be rational on, on naturalism? It's, yes. Yeah. Are you, are you, do you have an obligation to act rationally, yeah, that's part uh, of what on, on, on your worldview. On your worldview, I have yeah. I, rationality is autonomous. So okay, what it so, means so I have do I have a moral do I have a moral obligation do I have a moral obligation to act rationally on your worldview? 
No, because rationality is not a moral consideration. Mor morality is not concerned with okay. the rationality so, of your beliefs. So morality is an informal public system applying to all rational persons that governs our behavior, and you know we commonly refer to it as moral rules, moral ideals, moral virtues, and it has the lessening of harm as its goal. That's just what we mean when we use the term morality. And so, so if I, what you're if doing I is you're trying to insert the radically dualistic metaphysics of God into the clockwork of morality. You're, you're trying to say that without these divine commands or this divine nature, the, 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 you can't have a morality. And I it's just think that's totally wrong. I, well, I think that every, every contemporary metaethicist who's seriously doing work in this will would agree with me on that point. I can't I cannot think of one contemporary ethicist at a major university who would defend a theologically based system of morality. Well that's an argument from authority and No, it's an appeal to a relevant consensus. At the same time. So you don't know how to apply that fallacy. You can appeal to a relevant consensus. Vaccines don't cause ca autism. Do I know why they don't cause that? This is your subjective no. decision of a relevant consensus. Again, you're trying to get me to follow your subjective thoughts. Of subjectives. You just equivocated again senses of subjective. There's ontological subjectivity and there's epistemological subjectivity. But, but no, no, what is your, what is your basic grounding in your worldview? You want to talk over me? Go ahead. Do what? I said you clearly wanted to talk over me, so continue to talk. It's fine. Well, I, I, I've got to get my ideas clear here because, because you're, you're playing fast and loose with words. I, I said one sentence. In your atheistic, in your naturalistic worldview, how is it that, see, here's the problem, and this is one of the assumptions. I don't think you take the Enlightenment attacks on perception and reality seriously enough. F fine. Okay. So, for example, everything that you process is through your senses, right? No. I have other ways of knowing things, Rash, rational intuition, your, your quote-unquote, your mind's eye. So, so, so you believe, that there, are, so you believe that there are things that are not material. Let's establish sure. that. Abs yeah, sure. Universals, things like okay. colors, shapes, numbers, propositions, modal properties. Sure. I have no issue whatsoever admitting immaterial um, entities. Okay, but your your interaction with everything material is through your senses. Sure. And your senses are inherently flawed, or no. you don't know if they're you don't know if they're acting correctly or not. Well, but I have the principle of phenomenal conservatism. They seem my they it's again it's it's one of my foundational beliefs that my senses are on the whole generally reliable. But but that's just something that you you just choose to believe. Well, no, I have the principle of phenomenal conservative, that conservatism. That justifies right. that move. Right, that's a basic assumption itself, that you just The principle of phenomenal conservatism is itself self-justifying. But, so, for example, color, all, we, we may perceive color differently. Like, you and I can look at the same color and perceive it differently. Sure. And that's, and that's not even a flaw, because there's no absolute standard to hold it against. What do you mean? Well, so the color, I mean, uh, standard of blind, color, what is perceive what is, color differently? So I, I, I that's that's the problem of other minds. Like I can't get into your subjective experience, so I don't know if your blue is the same as my blue. I, I, I will never know that. That's that's something that's I'm epistemically cut off from. 
Right. So then what you're doing is you're, you're, and, and that's solipsism at a certain point, then you're saying that your perception is the correct perception. I may have a different perception, but then you're going to take your perception and in color, you won't impose it on me, but in morality, you will impose it on me. That, that's exactly what I wanted to, uh, Owen, I'm glad that you, that you went there because you were saying that if there's a reason, if there's a reason, you know, th there's a reason for me not to kill you. Well, let's say you're a Jew and I'm a Nazi and I have a reason to kill you. The Nazis had Do a reason. Do you have a reason to kill me? What is that reason? Because I uh, would argue you don't have a reason to kill oh, me. Oh, I don't, I don't know. I actually, I, I actually don't want to kill you, and so I haven't actually thought exactly. of any what reason Exactly. What reason did the Nazis have to kill Jews? Um, none. I don't know. None. Well, they had none. They had none. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, say that. I think had, that they, 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 had, they, they might have had an apparent reason, a reason that they thought was there, whether it be that Jews would ruin their economy or... Um, Jews were inherently inferior people. Those weren't actually reasons. They were they were wrong about the facts. There was no facts about Jews that gave Nazis reasons to kill them, and that's true regardless of whether or not God exists. Yeah, the the Nazis definitely um, they would have attempted to justify their uh, you know their murder of the Jews. I would say that they, uh, I mean, in, in the Christian worldview, I would say that that's sin. But here's here's what I'm I'm saying is that, so you can let's say you can come up with with a reason why I should not kill you. Okay. Now earlier you said that I do not have a moral obligation to be rational. So why do I have a moral obligation to abide by your subjective, arbitrary reason? As to, I mean, let, let's say you want to live, and or you don't like pain, or whatever the reason is that that you can come up with, it has nothing to do with with me. Um, your your life doesn't affect my life at all, and um, I have no moral obligation to abide by uh, rationality, and I have no care in the. Uh, why should I? abide by your reason the the line of reasoning that you put forth as to why I shouldn't harm you okay so let's let me use a thought experiment of my own um, from someone that I have a lot of respect from uh, the philosopher Shelley Kagan um, imagine that you had a son who came over to my house and tore apart of a bunch of books let's say your son is three years old has he done anything morally wrong? On my worldview or yours? No, no, just uh, putting aside, we're using moral intuitions at this point. Well, no, yeah, we haven't established that there is such thing as a moral intuition. That's part of the problem. We all have moral intuitions. Yeah. They're all different. On, on my, yeah, they're, they're all different. different. Well, they're not of course they are. Of course they're, they are. They're of, of course they're not. Basic moral truths... Like that, do they, they, they don't, there's a lot of conver convergence. Do not kill, do not cause pain, do not disable, do not deprive of freedom, do not deceive, keep your promises, don't cheat, obey the law. Who is really disagreeing with these? Who doesn't have these moral tuitions? Um, I, I, I live in a country where people actually do disregard the law. It's a cultural thing. Law here is a tool historically of the powerful people to oppress the... the and so, the and, but, don't, and, so they don't and, obey the law. They're right in doing that. So you're saying that those people... That there is. No, I'm saying. No, I'm saying in my worldview. In my worldview, 
we're made in the image of God, and part of that is a sense of knowing what is right and wrong. What if, yes. What if, what if God's image is analogous to a cosmic Hitler? <clears throat> then all of a sudden, anti the anti-Semitism that you were decrying. So well, that's the that's the so that's the youth approach dilemma. Well, that's the youth approach dilemma, and that's a totally separate issue from this. In no, my worldview, I can explain. I can explain why there is an overwhelming similarity on certain key points of morality. Absolutely. I would contend that you can't, first, so, and secondly, that, so, that so there is a divergence too, we, on We've this. moved too far away from my thought experiment now. Would the son have done something morally wrong by ripping up the book? The answer well, do you, is Do no. you believe in private property? Because not so everyone so does. The, the, answer, the, the answer I'm looking for is no. And that's because we recognize the difference between moral agents and moral patients. And a child of that age is a moral patient. He's someone who's capable of being the reciprocator of a moral obligation, but cannot in turn have moral obligations. Why can they not have moral obligations? Because they're not aware of reasons not to do that. So you are aware of reasons not to kill me. You are aware of reasons not to cause me pain. You are aware of reasons not to disable me you can respond to those reasons ways that that child can't that's why you have a moral obligation and while your child doesn't it's because of reason it's being aware and responding to reasons appropriately so yeah, what about ISIS, an example? I, ISIS has a, a good reason no they don't have a good reason from, from their perspective from their perspective they have they, from their perspective they might think they have and a, a reason, but that reason would be merely apparent. That reason would not, there would not, the, the facts of, that are happening in the world do not give ISIS reason to act in the ways that they're doing. Beheading, and, beheading Christians, there is no fact about Christians that give ISIS a reason, an actual moral reason to behead Christians. And I think you would all agree with that. Oh, and uh, did you have, were you going to say something? I interrupted you. Yeah, well, the problem here is, Ben, it seems like you're imposing your, I mean, you you, you are. In that sense, you're imposing your worldview of rationality and morality on them. For example, if they, believe, uh, no, if, they believe, if they believe that those Christians are blaspheming God, and God has revealed that the punishment for that is death, then how is that not a reason in their worldview? Well, One, you, and could still two, ask, you could still ask, why did God give that command? No, they don't need to, not in their world. Yeah, view. they do. They have to, because you could still ask, why did God give that command and not some other command? But that's you're imposing your evaluation no, on what's No, necessary. that's a question. I'm not opposing anything. I'm asking a question. Why did God give that command and not some other command? It doesn't. It doesn't matter. But let's go to a different it example. It doesn't matter. Not, no, no, no. You know, I'm, I'm going to drill this point home. Well, you're not, what you're going to go home is that you're imposing your beliefs. Rather than some other reason. You have to answer that question. Otherwise, I have no obligation whatsoever to obey that command. Well, you, exactly. Not you're not, you don't believe that, so you don't have an obligation to, to, to obey that command. No, no. My belief has nothing to do with the obligation being there or not. Remember, we were talking about objective morality. So these reasons aren't dependent on my attitudes or responses towards them. Ben, let me ask you a question. You, do you think that your reason, that, that your, your reasoning or whatever you think is reasonable, do you think that that's objective, objectively binding for all people? Yes. You, reasons would, by definition, are universal. They're something that we can all appreciate, all, that all rational and moral agents can be aware of and respond to.
Yes. Like, if, if something counts for a reason in some scenario, that reason is equally valid for you. And you determine what that, or you that's, don't determine, but you, you have a perfect understanding of those reasons, and others don't. The you have a perfect understanding of those facts, and others don't. Me. The facts determine the reasons, not me. I am just another agent. How's this? Two agents. It's the new world. Europeans have arrived. There's the piece of land. There's there's another person on that land. They want it, and so they kill that person to take the land. They didn't From have, there, but they didn't have a reason that justified killing those people. But to it's take in their, their self-interest. It's in their interest to kill people just to take their land. This is the history of humanity. Just because it's in their self-interest does not follow that it's that it's a moral reason. Moral reasons are not self-interested reasons. But you have no moral, grounding. For you no. haven't grounded morality, and you haven't grounded. I grounded it in reason, and in in rationality, and impartiality. In I, what I do you ground your understanding of rationality? Why is it that no, that person's no, self-interest is not actual, enough to kill? What it actually means to be rational, to be rational. That's not my opinion. I can't just make two plus two equal five. I can't just make modus ponens invalid, and I can't just make uh, causing unnecessary harm good. I can't do that. That's, that's, I, I can't, and neither could God. But that person believes it's necessary harm so that he has access to those Just resources. Just because he believes it, it does not follow. His, again, the moral truth does not depend on what he believes. You're already trying to stack the deck by putting it in terms of a subjectivist theory. By saying, but this person believes, no one cares. If we're talking about objective moral reasons, who cares what someone believes? But Who how do you have access to these objective is? reasons? Who cares what are they? What someone's response is? There is the reason. And it's not made true by anyone else's opinion of it. Just like math, just like logic. We could all have, you might have an you might be have an intuition that modus polens is invalid, but you would just be wrong. You would be rationally deficient. Okay. Um, well, uh, I think I'm I'm fine with giving you the last word there, um, Ben. Uh, Carlos, uh, just uh, he had to go. Uh, it is now 12:30 past midnight where we are at. Um, so he's uh, said he wanted to uh, say thank you, uh, and uh, Luke. Miner also had to drop out uh, because it's also very late where he's at. Uh, ben, where, where are you from? Uh, I'm originally from Columbia, South Carolina, but I live in Norfolk, Virginia now. Okay, so, ooh, it's late there. Yeah, it's What's about 2.30. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm a night owl, though, so that's when I do my best writing. Okay. Well, um, I mean, we I think we could go back and forth on this issue of morality, um, I, it's, it's clear that, uh, Owen and I don't think that you've established an objective moral standard. Um, you're, you're appealing to your, your reasoning and, um, and, um, we don't think that your subjective opinion about reasoning is, is, uh, sufficient. Um, and then there, there's other issues that we see and you obviously think that, uh, reason itself is is uh, sufficient enough to uh, th that it's uh, universal. Although 
Um, I mean, we could we could keep going, but could I uh, ask you one quick question: What is an objective opinion? And well, I that that's contradictory. I mean, opinions oh, are so, by nature. Oh, so so then, what do you mean by a subjective opinion? And it's you're saying that my view is merely a subjective opinion. Yeah, and I would say uh, it's a it's a description of your opinion, uh, and I would also say that it's arbitrary. So if there's but, a subject, so you 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 admit that there's such a thing as a subjective opinion, and that this is an epistemic vice. But what is an objective opinion, and how is it an epistemic virtue? Um, by definition, I think that opinions are subjective. It was merely a description of your opinion. Okay, so how does that discount my opinion? So my informed opinion on well, so, so and moral whatever, whatever, whatever why is it the fact that it's necessarily subjective discredit in any way what I said? Okay, well, if it is, if if it is subject necessarily subjective as you just stated, then no, that's whatever what you just stated, you just said that an objective opinion is a contradiction. So okay. necessarily, all opinions are subjective. That's what you just said. Yeah, you disagree with that? No, I'm I'm going by what you just said. So I I think that the experiences of an opinion. Well, I said I said I said your subjective opinion and subjective is a description. You tried to discredit what I was saying, in a, in a very blanket sort of way. You were saying that it's just merely my subjective opinion. And well, that I was telling you okay. what I've been saying about reason. Okay, so so I was telling you what our take on what you were saying was, and then I was going to your subjective opinion. Yeah, that's that's what our take. Okay. That, that, no, that's, I, just to, I just wanted to clear right, that, that up. That's, that's my take on your position. And what I was going to do was then recap your position and say that you obviously uh, believe that uh, reason is sufficient. And that's, I think, I don't know, I'd have to go back. It's, so reason all by itself can't get us there. It takes experience, takes an impartial point of view. Well... Okay, That's so are, are, you, are you wanting to get back into this? I was just trying no, to recap. Let's save that for part two. Well, so you, said you, were, you said you were describing my view, and so no, um, I, was telling I you gave the appropriate qualifications where you said that reason was sufficient for morality, but that's 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 not my position, that there's there oh. are other things in addition to reason. So okay, then, then I, right? l let me give you the opportunity to summarize your view. Uh, okay, so I guess I'll just give the standard, so the definition of morality. Um, morality is an informal public system that applies to all rational persons, it governs behavior, that affects others, um, and it has the lessening of harm as its goal. Um, I believe that morality is known to all moral agents, that if you don't know basic moral truths, then you are not in any meaningful sense a moral agent. Um, Harm, uh, obviously, is the central moral concept, in my view. Um, that harm is what all rational creatures seek to avoid. Um, I think harms include things like death, pain, disability, loss of freedom, loss of pleasure, things like that. Um, and I think that all of this is based in rationality and impartiality. So, again, it's, it's irrational to fail to be averse to harm, and that we have to take an impartial view when we make moral judgments if something counts as a moral reason in one case it has to be a moral reason in all other cases that are qualitatively similar or any person that's put in that same situation would have the same reasons 
to act in the same way. Um, that it, when any time we harm someone, it's not morally permissible unless we have some adequate reason which justifies doing that, like obtaining a higher order good, something like pleasure or freedom, um, ability, consciousness, things like that. You know, if I have a toothache, you know, the dentist going and drilling on my tooth is is a form of harm, but um, that harm is justified by the fact by the higher order good, which will be the absence of pain, which will be fixing you know the future absence of pain from fixing my tooth. So that's why a dentist isn't immoral when he harms you by drilling on your teeth. Um, okay. Why be um, moral? Um, uh, that's a big moral question um, because someone else will be harmed. Um, while it may be rational to not care about e each other, the fact that they will be harmed is enough reason itself to act. Hey, uh, ben, um, I just really wanted like one or two lines. Um, so Sorry. You're, you're, you're making an argument, and uh, we've already gone over this. Not an argument. That was I just laid out my view. So that's, that's, that's my view in its... Okay, well, yeah. That's... Ethics is hard. You can't, you can't just get away with little one, two-sentence sound bites. I mean, these are, this, is, this, is, this is a whole terrain that you, you can't just intuit your way across. Okay, so um, that is morality defined by you. And if I'm living in your worldview, I don't see any reason why I have to abide by what you say is moral. Uh, we can talk about this another time. I think, I think uh, we're, oh, I, I don't even know. We might be pushing two hours. Um, Owen, what, what's the time that we've got on this? Yeah, it's about an hour and 50 minutes. Okay. So I think, I think that's good enough for our listeners to, uh, to, to take in. Um, ben, uh, I, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, I hope that this wasn't too frustrating for you. Uh, I certainly uh, think that you're you're definitely an intellectual uh, coming on and and uh, talking to to four people at once. Uh, so I mean, I, I want to kudos to you for being brave enough to do that. I don't know <laughs> if I'd be I don't know if I'd be brave enough to go on a I'm, show. I'm with the lion in the, in the den of lambs. Is that what it is? <laughs> uh, yeah, I tried to make a biblical reference right there. I might have, I might have butchered it. I apologize. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> um, so, so Ben, you know, I, I also want you to know that um, uh, on the surface, th this isn't just merely an intellectual endeavor for us. Uh, we, we, we do hope and pray that you uh, come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Um, now, you can, you can. Uh, dismiss that if you want that's um not you know, at all I, I take it as okay. a great compliment and i appreciate well, yeah and I, I definitely want you to hear hear that from from us is that we we care about you as a person and and we believe that the christian worldview is true uh we believe that there's a holy god that you're made in him his image that you're given the gift of rationality and morality because god is a rational moral agent and you're made in his image and uh, so that's that's our prayer for you, buddy. Um, I uh, I appreciate you coming on. We appreciate you coming on to Semper Reformanda Radio. I think it's going to be a great episode. And uh, you know, uh, we're we're like I said, we're going to do a couple of episodes on apologetics. So uh, you know, stay tuned for that. 
And um, Owen, uh, you're the only one left. Uh, Carlos and uh, Luke uh, had to had to tap out, but uh, it's um, I think it's uh, like uh, what noon there for you in Bulgaria. It is almost 10 a.m. Yeah, so you guys are uh, ending your day. I am beginning mine. Yeah, so you're you're fresh. <laughs> so, um, but Owen, thanks a lot. Uh, everybody, uh, check out Owen's podcast. Uh, it's uh, his other podcast. Uh, it's Ask a Millennial Christian. It's uh, got some great stuff on there. Uh, so with that, I want to say thank. Yeah. Also, if, if you watch The Walking Dead, uh, the new season's premiering soon, and we will be starting up Memento Mori again. Memento oh. Mori is a podcast, Theology and the Walking Dead. If you all mind, I'll, I'll put in a, a, a shameless plug of my own. Um, yeah, yeah, I, go for it. With uh, Justin Schieber and Felipe Leon uh, run the Real the Real A Theology page on Facebook, and so if anyone's curious, um, as in uh, into any more of these sort of arguments um, as to the discussions between theism and naturalism, I'd suggest people to like our page and check it out, and also our good friend Jeffrey J. Louder at the Secular Outpost, um, some great resources. For both uh, skeptics and theists, so now can can they find you on there? Um, they can they they can find me on Facebook, but I'm just a moderator for the page. Okay. So what do you mean by find me on the page? Well, interact with you. If, oh, uh, absolutely. If people... Yes, yes, just certainly. Um, okay, great. So if uh, if if our listeners, if you want to interact with Ben, uh, go check him out there. Um, and uh, Ben. I uh, appreciate you, man, and I'll be praying for you. Thanks, so, buddy. Uh, Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure, and uh, I was, it was I was great to meet everyone. Well, great. Thanks a lot, Ben. Yeah, uh, thanks. All right. We will check everybody next week. Thank you. Bye.